I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There is a place just for you. A place that embraces the promise of a warm spring night and a reminder to hurry home on a cool autumn evening. It is a place that exists above and below, where the surreal and sublime dance cheek to cheek. This is a place just for you to sit back and enjoy. Beautiful tales for the disenchanted. Our tale tonight is entitled The Ultimate, Chapter 22. Another dream. Maybe he's forgotten the mission. Calliope looks towards the red skies as another planet becomes visible, black and burnt, vile flaming skyscrapers reaching from its sky down to their world. They're surrounded by the distinct sound of fingernails scraping down an endless chalkboard. Her raven-coloured hair is lost in the hues of the horizon. We now have enough dead planets in the sky to field a basketball team, says the ultimate man. I never played basketball. I hear it's fun, replies Calliope. When this is all over, you can take me to a game. Ultimate Man hovers a little closer to Calliope and looks at the book in her hands. These graveyard planets are home to the frail. They perceived a flaw in our universe and now pick at it like a scab, infecting us in the process. Did you know that we're possibly the last two people on Earth who remember the word poetry? Calliope wipes her mouth with the back of her hand, thin streaks of blood painting her knuckles. Just when I thought I couldn't be any angrier. From behind, a broken wall and explosion sounds, followed by laughter. Don't worry, Ultimate Man says. I use my ultimate vision to reveal Athena making short work of the frail's mindless drones. Was she also laughing? Yes, she relishes battle, Ultimate Man says, smiling the type of smile that reminds you he isn't from your universe. How could I not fall in love with her? Another explosion, but this time it comes from deep below. The ground shakes and grumbles like an old man waking suddenly in the middle of the night. Time to enter the story, says Ultimate Man. He rests his hand on Calliope's shoulder and squeezes it gently. I'll be back in no time. We're going to win. That's what we do. What if this is the one time we don't win, says Calliope. That's the frail talking. Trust me. How can you be so confident? He smiles. 
because you're my friend and my friends are the greatest heroes ever assembled. And besides, nobody beats the Huntsman. Ultimate Man flies straight up toward the sky before stopping for a moment, floating briefly in the air like a paper cutout attached to a child's mobile. He turns and aims towards Calliope, down toward the book as the graveyard planets loom behind, dark and menacing. Chapter 23 Robert opens his eyes to the grey sky and immediately wonders how long he's been alone on the roof. At least his friend had the decency to drag him close to the door, but he's still soaked, laying in shallow puddles of muddied rain. He feels the wind, violent and powerful, rippling over the top of the building. He isn't cold, instead feeling the humidity of the city around his neck and face. It probably doesn't help that the whole area stinks of bird shit and concrete. Everything feels claustrophobic. Fucking lack of blue skies driving everyone insane. No wonder everyone is full of anxiety in this city. Has winter finally come to live with us forever? It's like an unwanted family member who moves in for a couple of days just until they get their heads straight. And now it's three years later and you just accept when they move your furniture around because, hey, fuck it, they live here too. He's groggy. Robert still can't work out how he ended up on the roof. Yes, yes, the handsome, charismatic, not dirty at all, crazy homeless man flew them up, but come on, how did they really get up there? He must have carried him, but even that is immensely impressive. He might not be a superhero, but he does appear to have more power than a locomotive. Robert blames the store. No, that's unfair. Most of the customers are great, and there's only a few Robert avoids, so he isn't caught up in another. Nah, Thor could beat Superman because he's vulnerable to magic, and Thor is magic conversation. Could it have been an old fan of Dead Fingers Tapping? Or maybe his ex-bandmate set some strong man up to scare the shit out of him so he'd get the band back together. Or maybe Robert's just had a nervous breakdown finally. These are all fair options at this point in time. Robert gets to his feet and wipes down the dirt and leaves from his clothes. He squeezes his jeans, swollen with water, his shirt stuck to his body like it's made of lycra. His long hair is plastered across his face and neck. He can feel his feet squishing inside his shoes, the socks long past the point of being any salvation against the rain. He has no idea what time it is, but knows he has to get down to the store. Without Greg or the girls, poor Damien may have been trapped down there alone that whole time. For a moment he looks around to see if this has been a big prank, to see if this Kurt guy is hiding and filming him for some YouTube clip or whatever the kids are into today. He looks but sees nothing. Robert is alone. He tries the door handle and is relieved to find it opens easily. Down the stairs and into the dark, his feet squishing and squelching with each step. There are so many steps, so many floors to squish and squelch down. When he finally arrives at the bottom, he's overwhelmed by the smell of stale piss. Robert gags for a second and then curses the arseholes who must duck into the doorway to take a leak. He opens the door and finds himself in the alley. He looks at the time on his phone. It is nearly 5pm. How long has he been up there? Robert opens the back door and slides into the dark of the office. He removes his soaked jacket and winces at the smell that emanates from the fabric. A thousand nights of fun revealed and brought to the surface. He runs his fingers across his forehead, down one side of his face until his fingers are pushed aggressively into his neck, kneading at the knots that feel like they've been tied by ancient sailors. What the fuck is going on with his life? It's too much. He just wants everyone to leave him alone. Why doesn't he just sell everything and travel the world? He's mega rich. Act like a fucking mega rich person. Of course, the only problem with this is that Robert hates mega rich people. He was raised by his auntie with a small allowance and a modest home to learn the value of money before he came into his inheritance. Robert had normal friends, people like Greg who didn't really know his past when they were young. 
For many years, Robert felt the fear that when his friends found out about his secret stash of money, they might stop being his friend, that they'd think he'd been hiding in plain sight, pretending to be someone he wasn't. Of course, there were some friends who did think that, but not the good friends, not people like Greg. He feels lucky, like he should get on social media and write an uplifting message with hashtag blessed as a full stop. Robert knows he'd never have to worry about money, but he's never really lived the life that he could. Maybe it's time to do this. From the moment Melody disappeared from the face of the planet, Robert has felt a slow slide into an enveloping darkness, and this week in particular might be heralding the end of his sanity. He didn't know too many people in show business who hadn't had a complete nervous breakdown at some point. At least if he's going nuts, it has been away from the public. Too often he's seen his famous friends slowly lose touch with the world and be left wondering what happened, completely unaware that while they were in the spotlight, the world turned and didn't have the decency to take them along for the ride. To find yourself judged by a once-adoring public for the crime of no longer being quite in touch, it must be tough to find your new equilibrium. Robert notices he can hear his breathing. It's a suffocating quiet. Is anyone left in the store? He opens the door slowly and pops his head around, looking for any signs of life. There doesn't appear to be anybody. It's confusing because the lights are on, but the front door is closed. Business is done for the day. Maybe Damien left the lights on. Why is he even overthinking this? Robert feels like he's living in a completely new world, like he woke up this morning and rolled out of bed to the left instead of the right, and ended up somewhere familiar yet strange. Hey, Robbie. Ah! Did I scare you? says Damien. No, not at all. I always scream like a teenage girl when someone says hello. Sorry, Robbie. It's okay. Just remember, I'm in my 40s. I don't want to drop dead of a heart attack. Can you smell toast? Do you smell toast just before a heart attack? Or is that a stroke? Why are you so wet, says Damien as he dries his hands with a paper towel. He must have been in the bathroom. Robert enviously eyes the paper towel. He could use a six-pack of towels at this very moment. In the meantime, what does he say? A homeless man must have found him passed out in the alley and it turned out he was mega strong and carried Robert all the way up to the roof where he revealed that they are both superheroes. This world doesn't really exist and in fact, it's a trap designed to stop the heroes from finding the song that will save the multiverse and oh my lord, I need a drink and would you be offended if I burst into tears because this day has been mega fucked and I'm wet and I'm squishy and what a total shit sandwich. I think I also have a cold. What can Robert say? Fuck it. Do you have to be anywhere? Not really, says Damien. Do we have any extra towels here? We have paper towels. You want me to get them for you? Yes, yes, please. Then grab us some beers from the fridge. We're going to need them. Half a roll of paper towels, two beers, and one story later, Robert stops talking about his encounter with Ultimate Man. He watches as Damien runs his fingers through his floppy hair for what appears to be the thousandth time since Robert began talking. He wishes Damien would say something. In his defence, after saying everything out loud, it does sound like the type of excuse a child would come up with for not doing their homework. Nah, I was going to do it, miss, but then the dog ate my homework just as I finished it, and then I had to fly to another universe to save us all, and I think if anything, I deserve an early minute for being a superhero, miss, or at least don't give me detention for not doing my homework, miss. Wow. I know, says Robert. I mean, Damien pauses. That must be the dude that's been coming into the store. Oh, fuck, I forgot about that. You never saw him. We just told you about it. Makes sense. He thinks you're a superhero called the Huntsman. He thinks you're Batman. I'm not Batman. Or Spider-Man. I'm not Spider-Man. I know. You're the Huntsman. You're not helping. And he named himself after our store. Ultimate Man. Cool. Good thing we're not Comics Kingdom. Then he'd be Kingdom Man. Captain Kingdom. Stephen Kingdom. Damien laughs at this awful play on words. 
Do you want to hear something weird? Robert finishes off his beer and ponders the question. Sure, why not? My day can't get any weirder, right? Damien walks over to the computer at the desk, his fingers tappity-tap-tap along the keyboard like he's Matthew Broderick trying to break into NORAD. Outside, night has fallen and the darkness of the city presses itself against the doors. Robert shudders at the idea of heading out into the cold. Come over here, Damien says. Robert walks over to the computer and looks at the screen where Damien has found a new story from the town of Romsey. Two children playing in a backyard creek were suddenly swept away when the water rose at an alarming rate before their horrified parents could call them back from the edge. Why you keep reading, Damien says. Robert scrolls down the screen and then suddenly feels their hair raise on his arms. As the children were swept around the bend and all hope was lost, the parents suddenly found their children had been hauled to safety by a mysterious man that neither the father or mother had an opportunity to see. By the time the parents had seen to their children, the man was gone. It was a miracle, the father was reported as saying. Robert looks at Damien. What did the homeless guy say? Children need me, says Robert. Holy shit, dude. Robert rereads the story. Get fucked. It can't be him. Damien points at the screen. He said the children need me. Romsey is like a fucking hour away. An hour and a half. How did he get there? Damien shrugs. Maybe he flew. When did it happen, says Robert? A couple of hours ago, while you were having your rooftop nap. Robert walks away from the computer and begins walking in circles around the store. This is the real world, not a fucking comic book movie, says Robert. Damien ignores him and begins typing on the computer. He stares intently at the screen and then looks back at Robert. His eyes light up, a slight smile on his face. Then check this out, he says. Robert walks back behind the counter and looks at the screen to find another story. But this time it's from a couple of nights ago when a woman was attacked in a city alleyway only to have a man appear and disarm the assailant before disappearing into the night. Why are you aware of these stories? I don't know. I have all sorts of stuff pinging on my phone. News is just one of the things I try to stay across. Robert stops pacing and looks at Damien. What are you saying? Damien shrugs, his hands flipped outward like a man preparing to have his palms read. That's two good deeds by some guy who doesn't even hang around to get the credit. Is that a coincidence? Robert runs his fingers through his hair and is relieved to find it has dried a little. Yes, Yes, it's a coincidence, Robert says, feeling suddenly annoyed. Of course it's a coincidence. How could it be anything else? I don't know. Maybe this world is a, what did you call it? A life trap. It would make a lot of sense. Everything in the world has been pretty shitty lately. Robert scrunches up his face as he looks at Damien for a moment. Are you making fun of me, he says. A smirk sneaks across Damien's lips. Maybe a little, he replies. But you did leave me here all alone and I needed to go to the toilet for the last hour. Oh, that's right. Robert's the arsehole who blew up the day. He feels his guilt return, a guilt he feels he should endure. If Damien wants to have some fun at his expense, then he is more than welcome to enjoy this scenario. Sorry, Damien, says Robert. I'm sorry we all left you in the lurch. I'm sorry that I've quite clearly had a nervous breakdown and hallucinated a whole situation that... Damien holds up his hand to stop Robert from talking. Don't worry about it. It isn't your fault the girls ran off. Between you and me... I I know we don't really talk about this stuff, but I... I think there's something going on between them. Please don't say I said anything. I get it. I've been lost in my own world lately and they get along and... Yeah, so I'm just saying, it isn't your fault. Robert does his best to let his features go blank. He doesn't want Damien to see his eyes widen or his nostrils flare or his head tilt to one way and in that moment give away just how much he already knows. He's always liked Damien, but they've never talked like this before. To an outsider, it might not seem much, but to Robert, this felt almost confessional. 
I'm sorry to hear that, mate, he says. Do you want to talk about it? Nah, I'm fine, but thanks, Damien replies. More importantly, do you want this? It's a little warm. Robert shakes his head, so Damien walks back behind the counter to a little kitchen area and pours the rest of his beard down the sink. After placing the empty to one side, he leans back against the wall and folds his arms across his chest, his hair falling across his forehead. I've been dealing with that homeless guy for a few days now. What did he call himself? Kirk Allen, says Robert. He had a spacey alien name too that also sounded like Kirk Allen and it turns out, luckily for him, he must have been found by an Allen family so he could keep the name. (laughs) What are the odds? Damien snorts and Robert can't help but laugh either. It feels good. Hilarious, but not his secret identity. What did he say his superhero name was again? The Ultimate Man? Robert shakes his head as he finishes his beard. Nah, just Ultimate Man. No, the. Damien unfolds his arms and stretches. That's right. You're the huntsman and he's Ultimate Man. World's finest. World's mildest, says Robert. Do you think I was meant to team up with him? If this were a real superhero world, you'd fight him first and then team up. They never talk it out. They have a spectacular punch-up and then realise it was all a misunderstanding and that they're really on the same side. There's no way I was fighting this dude. You've seen him. He's massive. Damien nods his head. Shall we call the police and report this? Robert pulls out his phone and checks the time. It is past 6pm and he still has to catch up with Erica and Jemima. He also needs to go home, have a shower, change clothes... Burn these ruined clothes, feed Alfred, fight the urge to get high, and be a grown-up tonight. Robert has a think. What is he going to do? Call the police, tell them he was having a panic attack, smoked a joint, passed out, and found himself on the roof with a homeless man telling him they're superheroes and they have to save the multiverse before flying to Romsey to save two children before flying off again? With his desire to keep a low profile, the last thing Robert wants to do is draw more attention to himself. He was going to rationalise himself out of this quandary. I don't think so, says Robert. I reckon what happened was that I smoked that jay, went for a wander, passed out on the roof, bumped into the homeless guy who sprouted some bollocks before disappearing while I had another snooze. I don't need to call the cops to tell them that. I guess. Damien walks off and double checks that the front door is locked. Nodding with satisfaction, he walks to the other side of the store to where the alarm is hidden and flips the cover open. You're leaving now, right? Robert nods and heads over to the office, waiting with the door open so Damien can make his way through in one quick moment after setting the alarm. Both men grab their jackets in silence and head out into the alley with both of them instinctively holding out their hands to see if a light rain is falling. They smile at each other when they notice they've made the same action. It turns out the Games of Thrones-styled winter has trained them well. They walk out to the main street and as they do, Robert looks up at where the graffiti is burned into the side of the wall. This isn't real. Robert reads aloud. Maybe it was a warning all along, says Damien. Robert pulls up the collar on his jacket while patting his pocket to check he has his wallet. He wants to catch a cab home immediately, desperate to get into a warm shower and out of these clothes. You think the homeless guy did this? Possibly, says Damien. If he is claiming to be Ultimate Man and this is an illusion, wouldn't he make his way to Ultimate Comics to send his message? He'd see it as a sign, right? That does make sense. It makes complete sense if this were a comic book, but this is the real world. There has to be an explanation that makes more sense than this. Maybe he's just a crazy guy who saw the signage and decided that he was a superhero. Damien nods his head. Yeah, maybe. You're not buying into any of this, are you? Damien laughs. No, of course not, he says. But considering how shitty everything is, it's a nice thought that there's someone out there looking out for us. I'll see you tomorrow, Robert says, holding out his hand. Damien puts out his hand and the two men shake. You're coming in tomorrow? I better be here in case my buddy comes back, says Robert. He said he'd be able to find me now, so I should be here, just in case. 
Sorry about today. Don't worry about it. We're all good. They turn in opposite directions and walk away, Robert immediately looking for a taxi so he can get out of the city quick smart. As he makes his way to the side of the curb, he hears Damien yell out to him, Hey, Robbie! Yeah? If it turns out you're a superhero, I insist you make me your sidekick. Robert gives a thumbs up before hailing a taxi to take him home. Chapter 24 In hindsight, Robert wished he'd walked instead of taking a second taxi for the night. He's running late. Again. This morning he felt he'd turned a corner, that he was back on track, feeling positive, ready to take on the world. He'd shaved as well. Actually shaved. That had to be a sign that he's a new person, or at least an updated operating service for an old model. Then the day happened. Robert bounced from one gaff to another, his past appeared with an ultimatum, and a handsome nutter gave him a typical male fantasy that he is indeed important. Sitting silently in the slow-moving taxi, he came to the conclusion that he probably had gotten ahead of himself over one surprisingly energetic morning. Turns out a shave does not really change the man. Now he's back to one of his core skills, the ability to turn up late to anything he's been invited to. What a Barry Allen one. On his first taxi ride of the night, Robert had taken the opportunity to call Wendy. He launched into telling her about the band turning up at the comic shop. Can you believe the audacity of it all? No, neither can I. Without taking a breath, Robert segued into talking about the dramas at Ultimate Comics, speaking obliquely so as not to give away any more secrets before talking about how worried he is about Greg and the store on... Oh, that's right. I forgot to mention that I think I'm about to start dating a girl, but maybe now, but maybe I'm attracted to her sister. And what a day, right? With that out the way, Robert began to launch into the story about the homeless man and the bizarre situation on the roof, when Wendy finally found a gap in his breathless rambling to get a word in edgeways. I'm fine, by the way, she said. Oh. In that moment, he remembered he'd forgotten to call Wendy. Or did he forget to remember to call Wendy? It didn't matter what the intentions were, the outcome was the same. What an arsehole. Had he always been like this? Was he always that guy who just talks about himself and then leaves the table mistaking his interaction with people as an actual conversation? Robert had caught himself on more than one occasion treating the people around him as if they're his very own audience, slipping into this Phil Spector sonic wall of sound approach to talking at people. He doesn't think it was always like this. It feels like it's a new skill he cultivated in recent years where his regular dinner companion has been Alfred. Even then, there's been times when his cat has left the room with Robert in mild soliloquy. He winced when he realised how he treated his friend, a woman so laid back that she often let people off with a casual shrug. Wendy couldn't be bothered holding a grudge over something that is essentially unimportant. If she felt a need to say something, this time it must have stung, and Robert felt ashamed for his behaviour. I'm sorry, Wendy, Robert said as the taxi stopped in the middle of the road, surrounded by traffic desperately attempting to escape the city before the night kicked into overdrive. How are you doing? I'm fine. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Robert, thanks for checking in. Car horns begin to sound, conversations between frustrated drivers reduced to short honks and long beeps, the secret language of cities. It was raining again. Melbourne's winter was lasting longer and longer, anxiety levels were peaking, that hint of a blue sky in the morning was enough to remind people what they'd been missing for months, but not enough to calm the frazzled nerves of the people suffocating under dark clouds. Would have been nice if you'd checked in to see how I was after the fire, says Wendy after a short pause. It was only a couple of nights ago that the restaurant they were in had burned to the ground. How was that possible? It felt like months ago. Too much was happening all at once for Robert's liking. He was having difficulty keeping up. I'm sorry, Wendy, I just... Robert said, wanting to explain his poor friendship skills. Wendy deserved better. Whatever. My excuses are my own. I'm an arsehole. Not always, said Wendy, chuckling wryly. I'm fine. I was annoyed that you didn't call, and then when you did, well, it can be quite full on sometimes. You either have no words or all of the words. You should try to find a happy medium. Are you okay? You do sound frazzled. He was feeling frazzled. That was the perfect description. Yeah, I am. Do you mind if I tell you about my day? Let me get my cigarettes and then go for it. Robert listened to the sound of a lighter flicking on and lighting the cigarette. When Wendy was ready, he told her about the morning with the band coming into the store, with his fuck-ups with his staff, with his weird possible crush on the two sisters, about passing out and finding himself on the roof being talked at by a stranger who claims to be a superhero. At one point, Robert remembered he's in a taxi and looked at the driver to see if he's listening. He was relieved that Mr. Taxi Man was too busy talking to someone on his hands free. Robert finally finished the story just as the taxi finally broke free of the tedious gridlock and began picking up street driving down Elizabeth Street. There wasn't one aspect of Robert's life that didn't feel a bit overwhelming. Wow, was all Wendy said when he finished the story. I know. Yeah. Yeah? On the other end of the line, he could hear Wendy finish her cigarette with one last drag and then having a drink, humming to herself as she did so. I don't want to fuel what sounds like a nervous breakdown. I appreciate that description of my situation. But what about that guy at the fire? You know, the one that you reckon got everyone out onto the street before the fire barbecued the staff? Jesus shit, I'd totally forgotten that moment in the back alley. In the back alley, Wendy replies with a snort. Come on, how old are you? Old enough to be friends with a guy who owns a comic shop. Too fucking shame. Look, says Wendy, changing back to the slightly more serious mood. I'm not saying he's a... um, Superhero? Is that what he's saying? More or less. I'm just saying that maybe you should be careful because if this guy has been stalking you, maybe he was there that night and helped get those people out. Fuck, you think I'm being stalked? I don't want to freak you out, but maybe. What about the Romsey story? I reckon that's a pretty big coincidence. You and your staff member. Ha! Staff member. Who's being the childish one now? Anyway, you and your guy on staff, Damien. Damien found a pattern that wasn't there. You're reaching with that one. Hmm. Maybe. I'm just telling you my initial thoughts. Thank you, said Robert. They're appreciated. By the time Robert finally made it home, he said goodbye to Wendy, paid the taxi driver too much and told him to keep the change, then raced inside to find a sleepy Alfred, barely interested in lifting his head to see who was there. He stopped long enough to pat the head of his old cat, the fur a little finer than it had been in his youth. His power was getting on in age, and for a moment, Robert felt panicky at the thought that Alfred wouldn't be there for him forever. 
Robert filled his bowl with some fresh food and jumped in the shower, shaking off the thoughts of his cat's mortality. By the time Robert jumped out of the shower, he'd somehow lost even more time. What had he been thinking while he was in the bathroom? Nothing came to mind. Only colours. Bright and primal. Robert wondered if this was the beginning of Alzheimer's, and then reassured himself with the more logical fact that he should stop drinking and smoking so much. Imagine what he could achieve if he was actually focused. He might even turn up somewhere on time. Standing over his wet and ruined clothes, Robert dressed himself and bound down the stairs. He walked past Alfred, purring and eating, his medallion on his collar clanging against the dish. Robert rubbed the back of Alfred's shoulder blades while he ordered another taxi. A big mistake on a Saturday night. If only he'd made his way to Brunswick Street and hailed a taxi, he could have been on his way to Jemima's house in no time. There were plenty of rideshare options these days to choose from as well. Instead, he had the long, agonising wait for the taxi, enough time for him to send one too many text messages to Erica apologising. Was he in trouble? At least he scored some extra Alfred time, a small victory for the day. Finally, the taxi arrives at the destination. Once again, Robert pays way too much for a short trip. Robert checks the number and surmises correctly that Jemima lives on the tidy side of the semi-detached cottage. He presses the doorbell and immediately hears the footsteps of light feet making their way towards him. It's in this moment he realises he hasn't brought anything with him. Not a bottle of wine, a snack of some sort, even a comic for Nalani. Robert really was nailing the day. He chastises himself for his poor manners and then forgets about his failings as the door opens and reveals a tiny Wonder Woman standing in front of him. Hello, Diana, says Robert. Hi, Robbie, says Nalani. Mum's getting me to show off my costume for tomorrow's party. Do you think it looks okay? Robert scratches his chin comically. I reckon you look wondrous. From behind Nalani, Jemima's voice echoes down the passage. Are you going to invite him in? Nalani giggles. Sorry, would you like to come in? No need to apologise, and yes, I'd love to come in. Robert follows Nalani down the darkened passage. Robert stops for a moment as he watches her costume reflect the light from the room at the end. And for a moment, he feels faint, overwhelmed with a feeling of deja vu spreading throughout his body and just under the skin. He takes a deep breath and feels the moment pass. Maybe he's coming down with something. How long was he passed out on the roof in the rain? If Mr. Ultimate Man has given him pneumonia, he's not going to be happy. Robert takes off his jacket and walks into the room where Nalani has disappeared into. Here he is, says Jemima, her hair tied loosely in a bun, her arms holding sewing equipment and a pin in her mouth, her checkered black and red shirt that is ripped on the right side near the shoulder, looking like it had endured better days. In the bedroom, one side of the wall is covered with posters, comic book characters that include the Birds of Prey, Wonder Woman and Lumberjanes. On the opposite wall, a cover to an old Avengers comic blown up to poster size that includes Black Widow, Valkyrie, Scarlet Witch, Wasp and Medusa standing triumphantly over the fallen male heroes. All right, girls, says Valkyrie on the poster, her foot resting on the Clint Barton incarnation of Giant Man. That finishes off these male chauvinist pigs. From now on, it's the Valkyrie and her lady liberators. Between the parade of heroes is a very normal-looking bed, small, contrasting pastel colours dividing the quilt into rigid box shapes. In the corner, a bookcase full of novels, graphic novels and magazines. To the side of the bookcase, just under a window that looks out to the home of the unattached neighbours, a little desk and chair covered in scissors, pencils, paper and rulers, a treasure trove of instruments that are often associated with creativity. Robert feels immediately at home, enveloped by a memory of a similar-styled bedroom he grew up in a long time ago. Cool poster, says Robert. You like it? Jemima replies. I had it blown up and turned into a poster for Nalani's birthday. 
Do you think they'll make a Lady Liberators movie? Nalani says, looking up at Robert. He looks at Jemima with a, I don't really know look, before returning his attention to Nalani. I think if they do, they'll call it something like Lady Avengers, you know, keep it on brand. Lame, says Nalani. Robert laughs. I agree. Lady Liberators is a much better name. Robert looks closely at the desk and can see the comic that Nalani is working on. Her drawing's childlike, but uninhibited by expectation. Do you mind if I have a look? Sure, Nalani says, handing him some of the pages. His eyes bounce across the panels and he can see that the two heroes appear to be trapped in a jail. One of the heroes is all dressed in black, looking like a cross between Batman and Moon Knight, while the other hero has an all-yellow costume with a blue cape and a big red sun in the middle of his chest. They look like two of the greatest heroes of their universe. Wow, says Robert. My heroes have been split up and now they're finding their way to each other to team up and take on the bad guy, says Nalani. In most comic stories, the heroes get split up and these guys have been sent to Hades. That is so cool. I have to write the ending and get it into Damien by Tuesday, says Nalani. Why Tuesday? Because his comic competition finishes then. You know about the comp, says Jemima. Robert grins slightly embarrassed that he has no idea about the competition. I find it hard to keep up with Damien. He's got so many plates spinning, says Robert. I'm trying to get better at that. Well, I'll tell you what goes on in your store, says Jemima with a wink. Those classes Damien runs, everyone works on a comic, and then he has a little comp where he encourages kids to keep working on this stuff, and he puts up his favourites on the website. He said at the end of the year, he's going to print the best in an anthology comic from the store. Everyone else has been working on theirs with Damien, Nalani adds. I've only been to that one class, but I'd already been working on mine, so he said if I got it in on time, then I could be in the comp too. I like Damien, he's cool. Robert laughs. Damien is cool, he says. From down the passage, the doorbell rings, and before anyone can move, Nalani runs out of her bedroom yelling, Aunty Erica! Jemima winces. Keep your voice down, baby. She loves her auntie, says Robert. There's a lot to love. Come on, let's go to the lounge room and have a drink. They walk out of the bedroom and almost bump into Nalani, who drags her auntie by the hand. Erica looks at Robert and smiles before seeing her sister and laughing. I thought you were running late, says Erica. I was. Sorry about that. It's been a day. Erica nods as Nalani continues to guide her auntie down into the lounge room. I just had the most interesting Uber driver, Erica says, looking back over her shoulder. A 63-year-old woman who is retired but wants to make a little extra money so she can buy better birthday and Christmas presents for her grandkids. Oh, bless, says Jemima, placing her hand to her chest like she's clutching invisible pearls. That is adorable. Erica slips out of her big black jacket and reveals a pale blue sweater, black skirt that sits just above the knees, and black boots that finish just below. She has made an effort, and Robert feels immediately attracted and intimidated all at once, his gait feeling like it has abandoned him as he fully enters the lounge room. So, a proper hello for you, Robert, says Eric, leaning over with a gentle hug and a quick kiss on the cheek. Hey, Robert barely replies, the English language momentarily abandoning him. He looks at Jemima, who smiles deviously. Right, you two. Time for some bubbles. Jemima leads everyone to places for them to sit, her lounge occupying a small space with one red lounge, a black leather chair that looks like it was once used in an office, and a deep blue corduroy beanbag. A couple of bookcases lined the walls with photos of family and friends lined up on top. In the middle of the room, a rectangular wooden coffee table sits. Magazines piled underneath poke out from one side, and a couple of nondescript coasters lay scattered across the surface. A flat screen TV commands the attention of the room and a treadmill is lodged in one corner, covered in fabrics and equipment. 
Music plays through the soundbar in front of the TV. Robert listens, but can't quite work out what the tune is, even though he recognises it. You don't need a treadmill, do you? Jemima says. <laughs> no, I'm all good. Go and get changed, honey, says Jemima as she walks to the adjacent kitchen, her sister close behind. Nalani takes up the rear, heading to her room to get changed. Yeah, the treadmill seemed like a good idea when it was offered to me, but now it's just something big and heavy that takes up room. Let me know if you change your mind. Jemima returns with three champagne flutes and a bottle of sparkling wine. Erica follows with a plate that has an array of cheeses, wafer-thin crackers, and a small bowl of apricots and strawberries. Suddenly feeling quite self-conscious, Robert waits for the sisters to sit down before following suit. It is a confusing feeling to be in such an intimate surrounding with people he'd only known for a few days. His life feels like a speeding bullet aiming toward a target that he can't quite see. I hear I missed out on the reunion tour today, says Erica before raising her glass of sparkling wine to her lips. Robert misses the reference for a moment before remembering that his bandmates had come in that morning. His ex-bandmates. Did that happen only this morning? I really wouldn't call it a reunion, Robert replies as he takes a sip of his drink. More like an ambush. Ouch, that sounds like fun. It looked fine from my perspective, says Jemima. That's good. The last thing I need is people seeing my band gang up on me like that. Both girls say nothing and before Robert can stop himself, he begins to tell his story. It's the 20th anniversary of our first big album, Spiritus Sancti, Erica says before sinking into her chair, slightly embarrassed. Right. Could we have picked a more 90s sounding name, Robert says in an attempt to move on from Erica's sudden discomfort. Anyway, it's the 20th anniversary and my manager has had some offers for us to re-release the album. Maybe with some bonus tracks, maybe some gigs, that type of thing. Nalani walks into the room and sits next to her mum dressed in a light blue tracksuit, pants and a pale yellow top. Robert is relieved to see her return. It will inspire certain restraint when talking about the band. That could be a good thing, right? Says Jemima, her hand resting casually on her daughter's knee. Sure. Maybe. No, possibly. Robert pauses. Did I give you enough options? I don't really know. I worry about the nostalgia craze. It stops you from progressing. It means you're always looking backwards instead of what you could do in the future. Then again, looking forward can feel overwhelming too. I just... I guess I used to feel sad when I'd see those bands who hadn't been heard of in years turning up, looking older and lacking the energy they used to exhibit, dolling out the same old shit. He looks at Nalani and winces, mouths are sorry, and as Nalani giggles, continues his story. Same old songs, trying to recapture the past and failing miserably. It would be different if we'd stayed together, kept making new music, but we didn't. We've got nothing new to show, and so we'd be doing the old stuff, and I don't want to become that thing that I hate. Nalani cuts herself a big piece of cheese and presses it against a cracker. Before taking a bite, she asks, Couldn't you write new songs with your friends? That is a very good question. Unfortunately, I have a very boring answer, he replies. I have no idea. They didn't want to write new music in the early noughts. Well, they did, but they wanted to repeat the formula that helped to get us where we were. And I wanted to try new things, new sounds. How can I explain this best? They wanted to be the Rolling Stones, and I wanted to be David Bowie. Great comparison for a guy who hasn't written anything in a long time. Sure, there have been fragments of a song here, half a verse written down over there. Robert can't keep focus anymore, and he knows it, no matter how hard he tries. How did he used to write music? It's like he woke up one day and forgot how to walk, that all it takes is one step in front of the other and so on. His inability to hear music in his head since Mel was gone from his life not only frustrated him, but also made him angry because it was so on the nose, 
a terrible metaphor that became real. He looks at his audience and decides these three girls don't need to hear him whine about his past. It might not be the best look to bring up Melody either. He had done so on a couple of occasions and each time people thought it was because he was in love with her. That wasn't true. He did love her, but as a friend, like a sister. It was tricky bringing her up. His mood could oscillate between defensive and melancholic, two states that wouldn't be useful considering he could be about to go on a date. A possible date. Was this a date? He downed the sparkling wine and smashed some cheese and crackers into his mouth, concentrating on the crunching sound in his mouth rather than the cacophony of confused thoughts that swim around in his frazzled head. That's disappointing, says Jemima. You guys were great in the day. Yeah, I saw you at the Hi-Fi bar once with UMI, Erica joins in. It was one of the first gigs I went to as a kid and it was great. Was that an all-ages show? Yeah, a late Sunday afternoon into the early night. Tim Rogers was smashed. It was amazing. Robert does some quick math and nervously picks up another cracker that he slathers in cheese. He has a vague memory of that gig, but knowing that Erica was at the show, a show for teenagers, reminds him of their age gap. He's older than both women, and who knows what Nalani must be thinking. He must be ancient in her eyes. He feels ancient in her eyes. What is he doing? What do you think you'll do, Jemima says before taking a sip of her drink, candlelight reflecting in her eyes, making her look like a replicant. I don't know. Wow, I really have all the answers today, don't I? Robert can't help but laugh at his consistent indecision. I'm all over the place. I'm supposed to listen to the album sometime over the weekend and give my manager a decision on Monday. That was the deal I made with her. I just can't bring myself to listen. If I'm totally honest with you, there's so much going on these days, the last thing I want to do is listen to... Young me. I also know that some of the band aren't in the, how would you say it, best of financial situations, and I don't want to leave them in the lurch. On the other hand, they're not my responsibility, but maybe I'm being selfish thinking that way. Maybe? A silence falls over the room, and all Robert can hear is the crunching of crackers in his mouth. He knows he just overshared with people who don't really know him. He couldn't remember who told him this, or if he read it somewhere. But the advice to never get too close to your heroes, they'll always disappoint you by being merely human, was resonating loud and clear. Robert is sick of disappointing people. More indecision seeps in between the crunching of crackers. Luckily, Nalani sits forward and looks at Robert. I listened to some of your music today on Spotify and really liked it, she says. Really? That makes me very happy to hear that. My favourite was Expressions of Life. Narrow Expressions of Life? Nalani has a quick think before replying. That's the one. Wow, you really did a deep dive to find that. That's actually my favourite song, says Jemima. It wasn't that deep a dive. That was one of my favourite songs as well. The title was based on a bit of dialogue from a play a friend wrote. Interesting. I love it. Thank you. I'm flattered you have a favourite song. We'd better get going, Erica says, finishing off her second drink in one smooth tip of the head. She puts the glass on the table and sees the lipstick marks she's left on the rim. She begins to wipe it off with a napkin when Jemima begins waving her hands. Don't worry about that. I'll clean it up. I'm just going to the bathroom, says Erica, jumping to her feet and leaving the room with such pace that Robert has barely registered that she's left the room. Is she okay, says Robert? I think so, says Jemima in a way that says maybe she's not too certain either. Probably just noticed the time. Where are you eating? I have no idea. Was I meant to book a place? No idea. They all stand and make their way to the passage, Nalani already well ahead and grabbing Robert's jacket. While he's putting on the jacket, Erica returns from the bathroom, her lips covered in a new layer of red. Right, 
We're off, she says, taking her jacket from Nalani. They walk awkwardly to the front door, the passage being too small to walk side by side. Robert pulls out his phone and looks over his shoulder. I'll order us. I've already ordered us one, says Erica. I think they're pulling up now. Nalani squeezes past the grown-ups to open the door just in time for them to see a car pull up out the front. Good timing, says Nalani. On the veranda, everyone turns to say their goodbyes, squashed by the physical space and expectations. Thanks for having me over, says Robert, extending a hand to Jemima. She takes his hand and squeezes firmly. Thank you. Don't keep my sister out too long, she says, before hugging Erica and giving her a kiss on the cheek. She brushes a stray hair from her sister's shoulder and Erica says something, but Robert misses it as Nalani speaks to him. Where are you going to eat tonight, she says. I have no idea. We better hurry or we'll be late. Erica says, racing her head, not sounding overly friendly. He looks at Jemima and Nalani, but he can't read their expressions either. Before Erica can open the door to the car, Robert dashes ahead and opens it for her. Thank you, says Erica without looking at him. He closes the door gently and walks around to the other side. Before he opens the door, he waves to the girls on the veranda who return the wave with vigour. He then sits down in the back seat, wondering what he's done wrong this time. Robert is lost in thought, so much so that he misses the tall, homeless man, watching intently as the car drives away into the cool night. Thank you for joining us. You're always welcome here. Remember to avoid danger with strangers and never accept advice from mice. We hope to see you again here soon. Until then. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.